First Peter one. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were in yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I think that's the song that we just sang. Very good. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. And and, uh, may it empower us as we read it and study it and uh, be able to uh, put it into our lives. Uh, Father, that it uh, would not only make an impact in our lives, but as we go about in our daily lives, that it would draw attention to others that uh, when they see a holy life, that they too would see the beauty of God working in His children. So, we pray for Your Holy Spirit that He would enlighten us tonight in Your truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. First Peter one fourteen through nineteen. Fourteen through seventeen on your sheet, but actually I have prepared to go to nineteen, but we may not get there. But we will start on verse fourteen because where we have been at through the first section is indicatives, meaning uh, it's indicating what God has done. And we now uh, move into a section where there are imperatives or commands. Now, here's what God has done and the command is now you do it because you have the power. It's funny. Zach, how did you word that while ago? Did you have a... a um, a quote. What was that? Which one? It was dealing with this, dealing with justification and sanctification. Yeah. Can you say that? <laughs> Pressure's on. Yeah. Uh, Tell you what, I'm. It's not hard to figure out what is right, but amid the noise of an increasingly anti-moral environment, it can't be hard to remember to go ahead and do it. Well, I didn't hear that before, but that that's good too. But she said something else about, and I don't know if it was a quote. It was, huh? Obey the gospel. Yeah, obey the gospel, and yet at the same time, uh, it's like he's saying something else before that, though. What does he say? The gospel is something that Christ has done, not that we do. Yes, we still have the scripture that says obey. That's it. Did you guys catch that? This quote should be yours. First one. First one. Well, I didn't know what you were talking about. It might have been. <laughs> <laughs> so you need to record it. Yeah. Write that down. <laughs> Be called out on it. <laughs> okay, but that that really sums it up. Um, we can't do those things, even though we're commanded to do, unless. 
we see that God has done those in us and then we can do those. So justification and sanctification are two very important terms in Christianity, but we must get that order correct. We're justified. And because we're justified, we can be and we are to be sanctified. So we we, we will be. What he has done already, and that's what Peter has set us up with. He's given us the uh, the indicative. Here's what's happened. Now, here's what you do. Um, celebration in the verse twelve verses of what God has done for His own, and it's a forever thing, forever and ever. And then we saw in verse 13, we have the first command, which was where we left off. And by the way, uh, Elgin isn't here this week, but um, we saw him earlier today. But last week, I got a lot of really good responses off of what Elgin did. And so it was uh, quite a blessing. And I'm thankful that he could come here on a two-hour notice. I got sick. <laughs> Had to leave work on the second day of my work. <laughs> when, Went home and I said, there is no way that I'm going to go there tonight. I can't. And I, I thought, well, I can either call it off or I can try to give Eldon a call and hopefully he has a message already that he's done before and he can use that package. Uh, and I said, be sure, you know, just do something you've done before. Don't be... Within two hours, hour and a half, he came up with something where he had been thinking on some things and put them together and he put together just a great message. <laughs> I mean, listen... That's it, it, that, those, that takes me days to, to do that. So Anyway, I was thankful that he was able to do that. Well, two weeks ago, our first command that we saw in Peter was a four-letter word. Hope. H-O-P-E. That's what he says in verse 13. Prepare your, he says prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. But the very major verb in this verse is fix your hope or hope completely on the grace. That's the verb, hope. Uh, so that's what we do. Fully in the grace of God. Uh, and in that hoping, it, it you do it by preparing your minds for action. Preparing, gird up the loins. John Stott said this, the major secret of holy living lies in the mind. That is the secret to holy living. In the mind. How you have set your mindset is how you're going to live it. If you don't have right theology, you will not have right holy living. But if you have right theology and you desire to follow that through the Holy Spirit, then you will have right living. John Owen, who wrote uh, with so many words, he was probably the wordiest writer there has ever been in Christian writing um, amongst all the Puritans. And the Puritans were pretty weighty too, but uh, some wrote with less words than John Owen. And John Owen said this, and you might get a chuckle out of this, says, why say something in a hundred words when you can take a thousand? <laughs> and that's, that's what he did. John Owen has voluminous works, uh, maybe on just uh, one, one topic, and he will give you a thousand pages. Did you study him? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Uh, I wish. I, I don't know if I would be able to carry much all that he had but and the mind Owen said is this what do you think about when you're not thinking about anything in particular you ever been there where you're not really thinking about anything in particular but what does your mind do it's still thinking 
I know I go, it's almost like you go into some kind of default setting, you know? A lot of times I think, hey, wonder how the Cardinals did. <laughs> you know, I don't go, hey, who cares, you know? But, um, it's, it's saying, are you really thinking the things of God? Even when you're not thinking about things, it should, it should go there. And that's kind of what, what he's saying there. We need to really think in biblical categories, right? And um, biblical terms. And of course, verse 15 says, be holy in all your behavior. God says, be holy for I am holy. Everybody knows that verse. But... So the first command, the first command is to what? Hope. Be hopeful in the grace of God, he said there. Be hopeful in the grace of God. And the second command is really coming down to this. Be holy in the holiness of God. Because He is holy. And that very holiness that He is, now you can be holy because you're in God. You're in Christ. And you can be holy. Um, Growing deeper. Growing stronger. That's what you guys want to do, isn't it? Grow deeper. Grow stronger. Keep depending on Him. And so, it, it means... Choosing to embrace biblical doctrine, biblical teachings. And sometimes what we do is we like to embrace the comfortable, which is what we already understand, rather than the ones we don't understand, where you start growing deeper and deeper is by embracing the teachings you are not comfortable with, that you haven't studied, that you're not familiar with, are hard-to-understand passages. And a lot of people, when they hear the hard-to-understand passages, oh, that sounds too deep. They say, I don't want to go there. Well, you're not going to go any deeper. If you want to get the real jewels out, you have to go deep, don't you? And that's what we need to be committed to. And that's what Peter is really doing here. Um, God has never taught anything false in the Scriptures or anything hurtful. It's always good. And some people say, oh, that, you know, that doctrine, that's a little too much for me. I can't understand that. Well, God gave you a brain. God gave you the Holy Spirit. And you can understand that if He put it there. And, but it means some digging. And it means some work. And it might mean rearranging some preconceived ideas that you had before. So don't be afraid of those uncomfortable things that are in here. And Peter is working to that as far as living is concerned. Now, we need to get into the verse that we're at at verse 14. And he says, as obedient children. Now, did you notice that? As obedient children. You are obedient children. As obedient children. The negative. Do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your what? Ignorance when you were an unbeliever, when you didn't know, when you didn't understand. Uh, As obedient children. Got to like that. That means if we're children, and as the song sang, it started off right at the very first verse there. How does that... You have that song there? What is that first few lines dealing with the Father? Father, forgive me for my disobedience for living for the lust that were in my hand. Father, forgive me. There's a child, and that's what we are, we're, we're children, and we come to the Father. We are actually born, again, we are born of obedience. That's what our nature now is. It's not disobedience. Our na- in Ephesians, it says that, you know, children of disobedience. Now what are we? Children of obedience. That's our new nature. 
That is what we are. We are obedient children. He says, that's what you are. You're as being that. And when we do sin, then we go and confess to the Father, as that line says. Really, was that a Matt Papa song? Mm-hmm. Man, it's powerful. Um, God's grace is the motivation for holy living, right? That's where it starts. It's not a matter of I, I'm going to do this for the Father. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I suggest to you that hope that we've already seen. When you hope, is hope in the grace, completely on the grace, it will produce holiness. When you have hope, you know who He is. kind of reminds you of, I guess, kind of what we were talking about today, uh, about the great hope that we have. As soon as we died, boom, all the things that happened to us. And just like Peter's talking about the inheritance, right? Same thing. Uh, Man, if that's the case, then um, hope as we realize what's coming, says, okay, because of that, I want to be obedient here. This is not a matter of working something up. It's This is just part of us. That's what we do. 1 John 3.3. 3. I think everybody knows this. But boy, you can't miss this one. This really compares with our where we're at in our text there. Uh, here he's calling them children of God in verse 2. In verse 3, And everyone who has this hope Fixed on Him does what? Purifies Himself. Just as He is pure. Be holy, for I am holy. If you have the hope that is the fact that... What is it? Beloved, now we are children of God. Verse 2. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, what? We will be like Him. Because we'll see Him just as He is. Wow. And then your verse 3 you have that kind of hope, you're going to purify. Hmm. Purifies himself. You live in hope, you live in holiness. You live in hope, you live in holiness. How are we to be holy? Well, he says it here and he uses a negative. Do not be conformed to the form of lust. Can somebody else think of where there's another passage that talks about do not be conformed? Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, right? And that that do not let the world uh, what bring you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. One way to keep from being conformed to the world is transformed by the renewing of the word. So one thing we do is um, we just have to break from it. Just just stop it. Don't be conformed to the form of lust. Well, how do you do that? Well, um, break it. Break from that past last lifestyle. So don't need that. Uh, we did the Romans 12 too. How about 1 Corinthians 7 1? Make a quick break. Don't do that stuff anymore. What good is it going to do you? It's going to do you harm. Now concerning things about which he wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, what, what? I don't think... Is that Second Corinthians? I bet it is. I'm sorry about that. Therefore, having these promises, Second Corinthians 7.1, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
Let us cleanse ourselves from what? All defilement of flesh. Uh, don't let the flesh, the world, don't let the devil uh, defile you and, and be clean. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, kind of like the Romans there. Um, so he says, lust, do not be conformed to the former lusts, the former desires. And these lusts had full sway in, in the unbelievers because they were ignorant. That means they had no light of God. That's what we were. We, were, we did not have a light there. So we don't have to be controlled by selfish desires. That's the idea of lust. Lust can be sexual lust. Or it can be any kind of desires that are not godly. Just anything. It's usually used in a negative tone. So he says, uh, you know, make a break from it. That makes sense. So now we're getting into the commands, are we? Hope and now being, being holy. You have to establish a pattern of obedience. Instead of doing what you did before... Now what you do is you turn that on the other side and do the positive and do the obedience. And, and it's not just doing actions. It's a lifestyle. It is a, not just a one-time thing, but it's a constant, ongoing thing in every area of our lives. Right? Not just certain areas, but in all of life, we learn to obey the Father in every part of our life. And you know what? The world will learn about the Father when the world watches His children. Uh-huh. Okay, point number one is done. And that's the verse 14. Want to go to point two? We have enough time. Okay. Okay, into the Bible study. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. <laughs> what would you think if I just stopped at 7.30? What's happened with him? <laughs> what do you do? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> long day. Yeah, long day. No, I think you had a game you needed to watch. Is MU playing tonight? I think. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You know what? What, what am I thinking about whenever I'm not thinking? LSU. <laughs> That's who they're playing tonight. LSU. <laughs> Who's playing LSU? Okay. Okay, verse 15. But, like the Holy One. Don't you like that? He's the Father. Now He's the Holy One. The Holy One. Who called you. That's kind of neat right there. I kind of just tend to glance over that. But, like the Holy One. who called, He's the one. That he called you. Right? It's one thing to talk about the holiness of God. But it's another thing to desire holiness for ourselves. You know? You know, it's easy to sit here and talk about the holiness of God. God is holy. God is perfect. God is pure. God is transcendent. God is holy other, isn't it? Sounds like R.C. Sproul there now, doesn't it? The holiness of God. That book is a classic. You reading that? There you go. There you go. Now, that's, that's a study. That's a study. That's a, that's, I'd recommend everybody in here, if you've not read The Holiness of God, just get the book by Sproul. And I've got one at home if you want to borrow it. That's even better. We got it right here too. Okay, very good. Excellent, excellent stuff. Um, he's he's kind of um, gotten a little bit older. Of course he looks like how his son looks now. That's right. 
R.C. Jr. Uh, has been without hair for a long time. <laughs> He's starting to look like his son. <laughs> I mean, R.C. Jr. has more hair than his dad. But he does? His dad looks like in his video series, oh, which I think was okay. done in the late 70s. But R.C. Jr., have you seen him lately? I saw him in that amazing race. Uh, that's back a few years ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, desiring holiness, that's essential. For a Christian. John Calvin, as Institutes of the Christian Religion, talks about the third use of the law. And the Reformers talked about the third use of the law. He said, well, third use? What's the first and second use? Well, the first use of the law is to drive one to Christ. It shows that they're sinners. What's the law do? It condemns everybody. Can't save them. All it can do is condemn them. So that's one use of the law. The second law is civil obedience. Government and such. The laws that have been made. And that's still God behind that. Then the third use of the law is for the Christian. Yeah, there are laws for the Christian. Of course, they're wrapped up in Christ. We know we're set free from that uh, ritualistic law, but yet there's still the law. The law is here. We we cannot deny that. Uh, Even though we talk about grace so much, then we have to come back in. That's what we've gone into on Peter now. We've been talking about all what God has done in His grace, and now He's saying, okay, here's what you do. You cooperate with God now. This is where you have um, synergism. You can't have synergism before justification, though, because it's going to take God to wake you up. But then when you do become a Christian, now you become uh, synergistic. You desire the things that God has. You work with Him. Does that make sense? Monergism and synergism? Okay. Two pretty big words, but they're not really that hard, are they? Okay, um, by the way, look up monergism.com if you want to, and you'll get a wealth of information you won't know what to do with. There'll be so much stuff there that'll take a lifetime to glean from it. Monergism.com. All the Reformed theologians, they have so much works there to present-day theologians. You want audios? They are there. (laughs) Incredible amount. And also um, writings, just whole books are on there. I use it all the time. Anyway, um, Westminster Confession affirms this, that we are justified by law as a guide for sanctification. Um, And he says, Westminster Confession also says this, but the faith that justifies is not alone. It is always accompanied by works. That's not like what we were talking about earlier there, Zach. You've heard that many times, right? Luther said something like that too. The faith that justifies is not alone. Now we talk about faith is alone. Faith faith alone, nothing else. But then on the other side we get this. But the faith that justifies is not alone. You get it? It's always accompanied by works. Of course, that's the book of James. Yes, exactly. Um, we sometimes we live for self fulfillment. Sometimes we live to rather please ourselves rather than please God. Uh, in the Christian book realm today, and I can say this, I think um, this is what I saw coming through, and this is another reason why I really um, was saw a downer in, in the Christian realm. Uh, people weren't looking for theology books. 
books about God. Books about the holiness of God. Books about holiness of people and being sanctified. Uh, the books that they wanted are the ones that tickle you a little bit, tickle your ears, and self-fulfillment type. How to be good fathers. Anything wrong with that? No. But that's really what they're really... How to be a good, fa- how to be a good mother. How to be successful lovers. Uh, how to improve our diets. Rather than books on how to be holy. How to be Christ-like. Did we get many books like that? No. And that's why um, the gospel light message is so popular today. The point of all theology is this. Not to get information for our mind. It's nice, but here's where it's supposed to drive us to. Get all the theology you can. But the reason for it is for us to be Christ-like. Because we are chosen in Romans 8, it says, we have been foreknown so that we would be like Christ. That's what it's about. Or in Ephesians 1, that great passage about Him bringing us into the kingdom of God, Him choosing us. And really, what's the reason? Well, it says in Ephesians 1, in around... Verse 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He chooses us so that we be holy. He chooses unholy people so that He can make us holy. Robert Murray Machane, you ever heard of him? Uh, he, I think he lived to be 28 years old. All of 28 years old. And then he died. But he made an impact in this little church that he pastored. And here's a quote from him. This is really a staggering quote. One little quick sentence. My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. Think about that for a moment. That's convicting for a pastor. My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. Well, they need, you know, it's, you're going to get it from God and His grace, His fountain and everything. But that pastor who is to be preaching the Word is also to be living this out. And what happens if somebody delivers the Word but they're not living this out? Man, people aren't really going to... They're not going to change either. Either they're going to walk away from that guy or they're going to be just like him. And uh, so, my people's greatest needs, my personal holiness. Holiness is real serious. So, the second command of Peter be ye holy, for I am holy. God Himself, best motivation that ever could be. God Himself is the motivation, He is the standard. The standard for holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. He says, Here's how you be holy. Look at this. This is God. <laughs> wow, really. Uh, we ought to be uh, desiring to be holy, wanting to be holy. God did this. Now look at this. He identifies Himself with us. Calls us Father. He calls us children. He's the Father, right? And He identifies with us. And He is worthy. If He's the Holy Father, the Holy One, then He is worthy of what? Holy children. 
What does it say here? As obedient children. Holy children, that's what we need to be. The knowledge of the Holy One. Knowledge of the Holy. Uh, it'll transform, totally bring a total effect on our lives. When we look at His holiness, the more you study the holiness of God, the more you desire to also be that way. But we never attain that in this lifetime, right? Yeah, we can never be as holy as God is holy. Yeah. Never can. But He's just raised again for you. He was? Yeah. He can scrape a lot of the dissolved of us. Yeah, and and we know if he's absolute holy, and that is uh, the attribute of God, and, and nobody will ever get to that. But we will come to a point where we are perfectly holy. We know that totally without sin, uh, not in His splendor, but uh, absolute holiness belongs only to God. But we can and must grow in personal holiness. We must grow in that, and we grow in knowing who God is. Study His attributes. One of the best things that people can do is just think about who God is. Think about His kindness. Think about His mercy. Think about His grace. Think about His omniscience, omnipotent. I think John MacArthur is now going over us in a series dealing with the attributes of God. Have you guys heard that? Anybody heard MacArthur lately? Uh, but um, he was hitting on omniscience and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, nothing probably more valuable to study than who God is. Do you know you don't hear that much today? It's about how can I be a better person? Well, that sounds like growing in Christ, doesn't it? Well, it starts with knowing who God is. Because that's where we get all this. And of course, I want I want to be a better, but I want to be like God is holy. Not just to be a better person. God can satisfy. God's the only one that can satisfy. Knowing Him, that's where it's at. That's how we'll grow. This text, uh, Be Holy for I Am Holy, you can turn to it if you want or you don't really need to, but you'll find it in Leviticus. Peter just ripped it right off of there. He did it copy and paste. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matthew 5.48, here, here's one. Be perfect as the Father in Heaven is perfect. Well, nobody, as, as Barb was just saying, Nobody can do that. But he's saying, be perfect like Him. And it's only in Christ uh, because that law has been done. Ephesians 1.4, we read that earlier. To be holy and blameless. Chapter 5, verse 1 says the same thing. Okay, now let's get this in context. Peter's writing to people who are, are going through trials, will be going through trials. Peter's writing... To these people, knowing full well that they're going to go through some really tough struggles, and what he's saying is God designs those trials to make them what? Holy. So, what he's doing is he's making us holy. You know what? God will do anything it takes to make you holy. I think I heard that from MacArthur about 25 years ago. It's always stuck on my mind. God will do anything it takes to make you holy. He will put trials on you. It's to make an end of yourself. That's what we're to be doing. Dying to self. That's tough. 
Man, what about self-esteem, man? That's what God is trying to do is get rid of your self-esteem. That's your problem, right? That's my problem. I think of self too much. Yeah, that's right. In the midst... Oh yeah, the, the pride. That's the that's the last thing that'll that'll go. That has to go. And he's working on it, but it takes a lifetime. But then, as far as glory is concerned, then it'll all be gone. And never again will we have to worry about ourself. <laughs> In the midst of your pain, only God can satisfy. What's the dominant reason for holiness? Association with the Holy God. He wants His people to be holy. And so He draws us into a relationship with Him. And He made us in order that we'd actually reflect His holiness. I I can't really fathom what all that means. I mean, I'm to be reflecting God's holiness? Well, if He's living in me, there is holiness there and His Word uh, is showing that. So we should be reflecting that. Now, we are not the source, but we are the reflection. And so He says, Be holy for I am holy. Uh, That's point number two. Hmm. Pretty good tonight. Would we get three points done? Let's go for it. Don't get too crap. <laughs> I needed to hear last week's lesson, didn't I? <laughs> That's good. Verse 17. This is kind of part of the matter here. We saw 16 because it is written, you should be holy for I'm holy. Right? We see where that is taken from. Leviticus right out of the law. If you address... As Father, there's the Father now. We've seen obedient children. Now we get into this Father. If we're children, then somebody's the Father. If you address as Father the One who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. So, honoring the Father is living in fear. (laughs) Wait a minute, it's talking about hope and now he's talking about living in fear before a holy God. Pretty good motivation. Uh, He's holy. He's our loving Father. And what a privilege it is that He is the Father who calls us, but we can call on the Father who is a judge and He's impartial. And we can just come up there and we know that okay it seems like okay he's a gracious father and we've already seen that and we can just climb up in his lap and everything's okay and he can tenderly welcome us and we know that he's a father that there is receiving us putting his arm around us and then he comes up with this verse hey he's the judge and he judges impartially now if you address him as father I want to balance this off a little bit he's also the judge <laughs> Ooh, getting a little hard now, isn't it? It sounds so great in those first, what, 12 verses or so? And now it sounds like he's really putting the hammer down. Well, sometimes we can take advantage. In Romans 6, it says, uh, what? Uh, what are we supposed to do? Can we just go out and sin now? Sin and do whatever we want to do so that his grace would abound more? And what does it say? May it never be. 
So the balance comes in the context of a family life and realizing that not only is he father, but he's the judge, our conduct is a, is a test of our love, our love for the Heavenly Father. So if we are obedient, we're showing our love. If we're disobedient, we're showing that we really don't care to show love. So God is gracious, but He calls us back also to fear the behavior that we would have that would be destructive. Here's where the fearing comes in. Say, well, how? What's that mean to fear God? What are we to fear? He's talking about hoping and perfect love, casteth out fear. But he's saying fear God, and we see that throughout Scripture. Um, Peer means here, maybe the fear is dealing with not hoping in God. I might kind of forget about hoping in God. I'm not putting my hope in God here. I'm putting my hope in other things. That would be kind of a fearful thing, wouldn't it? Uh, look in Romans 11, 20. Are you, are you getting that a little bit? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Fear God. Talking about the branches, you know, the wild olive tree and stuff. Verse 19 says, You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. You know, like the, the Jewish people broken off and then the Gentile comes in. And then he gives a warning and says, Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. That is a pretty fearful verse. And we know we can't lose salvation. What's going on here? Well, it's talking about... this, And this is where the third use of the law is. Is yeah, there are going to be times when we're disobedient. We need to be fearing God because He will judge that. Now our sin has already been judged, but our rewards and the way that we respond now to what He's given are also going to be taken into account. That we have to give an account of our life to Him, to the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment, but the judgment seat of Christ. It's not talking about losing salvation or gaining salvation because we did something, but it's talking about these are rewards or the rewards that can be taken from us. I wouldn't want to displease him, and so therefore I don't. I, you know, I, I, uh, as far as fearing, I don't want to lose hope in God. That's one thought. Um, whatever happened to the judgment of God in? Uh, in the evangelical church today. I don't think you ever hear of that, do you? There will be a judgment according to works. They change the word fear to revere. It makes it sound a little more palatable, right? And and that's some of it, but not all of it. There is, it means having a reverential respect for Him and a relationship. But it also means to know, just like you say, here's the other side of it. But there is a sense of His awesomeness. And that, that word is really a biblical word. And today, it, oh, you know, it's just cast about. What's that? Everything's awesome. And it really means we are in awe 
of God. That's awesome. God is awesome. So we have works that are accountable, that we're accountable for. And there's not going to be different rules for different people because God is absolutely fair in everything that He does. So they... um, you know, it's not like he's going to give slack to somebody over here. You know, eh, they did that. Off, you know, withhold that. That guy right there, yeah, he did the same thing. I'm going to get him though. <laughs> no, he'll judge both of them. You know, uh, in a perfect way. So I think the the first reason for conducting ourselves in fear is that the one we call the heavenly Father. He's emphasizing that the one that we call heavenly Father judges everybody on the same kind of evidence. Now, some fathers will be lighter on one child that does the same thing wrong that this other child over here, and they really give him the heavy hand. You know, you've heard of that? And uh, maybe they're not playing uh, equal judge here. But uh, So what do our deeds, our, our works, what do they say about our heart? There's one standard of judgment. And uh, that standard actually is what our uh, deeds about. Uh, the fear is not a paralyzing terror. You know, we should not be in, a, in terror of God. No, He's going to strike me. You know, you know that kind of thing. I think Barb came from that thought uh, in in the Roman Catholic theology, and some have been in that. That's kind of it is you know, where there's a, a terror, just going around living your life, fearing that God's going to strike any moment. Right. Yeah, the emphasis was on how how radical God was in the Testament rather than how simple people are. Yeah. Yeah. I never never looked at it that way until I became a Christian. There was no grace with that. Uh, There's no balance there. And we don't want people running around like that. But there's a proper fear of of His great holiness and His awe. Focus your on how Peter sees fearing God in relation to judgment and redemption. How about this? Fear living that you might betray lack of uh, being satisfied in God. Lack of satisfaction. You're looking for something to make you really satisfied rather than finding your satisfaction in in God Himself. Looking for something else to get that satisfaction. That's what we need to be fearful of. If we're looking for something else, saying, man, there's just something in my life that's just not right. I don't know what it is. Be fearful of that. Because now you're looking for something else that will please you rather than God. That's something to fear. I did that for 50 years and could never find it. Never will. Never knew what it was. There's a song written about that. Mickey Gilley did that all the time. Something. Like that. <laughs> Bob, you're laughing over there. <laughs> you remember those days? Bob goes, oh, "Don't even mention that, right?" <laughs> that was back in the late '70s. Would you take this? So, to me, I was kind of taking it in a different direction of, of the obedience of God that He calls His children to do. And we let the circumstances around us dictate what we do instead. Like we know in our hearts that we, we know we do, there's more that should have been done, but we're so afraid of everything else except for the fear of the Lord 
give the obedience part that he's called us to do that we we set back, we pull back, we don't respond as though we know we shouldn't respond. And that 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 that's that thing that he's supposed to say about the judgment. Is that not our biggest concern is that we're gonna find out that he kept saying things in front of us and we kept saying, Sure, not not me. You wouldn't call me to do that sort of thing. Hmm. Like Jonah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but I think we do that because of our culture, people are going to say or think, you know, we're so afraid there's going to be circumstances that we're going to have to endure because we do what's the right thing. You yeah. know, we're going to speak up because we know that we will get a, a, a look or be left standing there by ourselves, you know, sometimes in conversations with several people. You know, that, that, those are the things I guess we need to think of and hold it here. I am who I am because of the grace of God and He has the protection He has me to endure or to go through that very thing I you know, desire not to have to put myself out there. Yeah. So I just wanted to be able to find out because I kept giving you these opportunities, why didn't you? Because of what? Because I stuttered, you know, so that we can go to testament people that they never Oh yeah, there's a. We need to be uh, fearful of our behavior uh, and what uh, what it what it's doing. It's realizing that, uh, hey, this is. I think in um, the church today, it can be a carbon copy of the world. And we think that grace means nothing to fear in our behavior. And yet it says here, it balances that out. Uh, judgment uh, does have place in our lives, doesn't it? We do have His grace, but He calls us back to fear the behavior that would lead to destruction. Uh, I know Proverbs 9.10, I think we're probably right at the end here for the night, but Proverbs 9.10... Pretty helpful on this, I believe. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Probably read that many times, haven't we? The fear of the Lord is where we have the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God. Fear of God and the fact that God hates sin. Fear of God's right to chasten sin. Fear in us to honor Him as a holy God. Fear in God that He can disqualify you. What? Yeah, First Corinthians nine twenty seven. You ever you ever heard of being disqualified by God? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. A Christian can't lose her salvation. That's true. Well, what about this disqualification? What'd you just say? But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Uh, and he's using a word there that was used in the uh, like the Olympics, the games that they had. And uh, the great illustration, he's talking about striving for the crown, you know, uh, exercising yourself and running in such a way, boxing in such a way. And uh, somebody who was competing would be uh, 
in danger of losing what of meeting the requirements of what they were supposed to have done as they would work out and so he's he's talking about um you don't want to lose that participation you don't want to lose your witness as a christian because you you made a big stumble you know and you're disqualified now you're still in the race but now your witness has is making such an, uh, an effect it's so loud that it it's not going to make any impact anymore. Yeah. He is disqualified. Exactly. We don't that that puts a little fear into us right there, right? Okay, if I do this, this could get around this could just blow everything. And I know God's going to judge it. He's impartial. That's a pretty good fear there. Yeah. Always confident that absolutely nothing would be able to separate him from God's love, but he never presumed that he was saved regardless of what he did. Like, hey, no matter. Uh, I mean, Paul knew he was a believer, but I think what he's saying there, just, hey, I can go out and do whatever I want to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Acts thirteen seventeen. Our stay on earth, and we'll, we'll finish on this first. Um, in yeah, Acts thirteen seventeen. What do we have here? The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with an up, uplifted arm, He led them out from it. So during their stay in the land, while they were there in that land, here uh, we are be conducting ourselves in fear during the time of our stay here on earth. So we are always to be fearful of God in that sense, fearing God. I think there's a book. Jerry Bridges, I think, actually wrote a book called that. I don't know if it sold very well or not. <laughs> our stay on earth. Be fearing God. Anyway, that's where we're going to take it tonight. Hey, we got through. Did we get through verse seventeen? Hey, that's what we set up here on the on the title up here. Okay. Yeah, a bad motel. A very terrible. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a very terrible moment. <laughs> What's that? A very terrible vacation. <laughs> At a roach motel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, while we're here. Yeah. Enjoy this, right? I've stayed there but that that stay sometimes yeah that's 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 right it, it was not intended to be here forever just a little while yep hey just a passing through we